Welcome to the Space Hour, a show to highlight the people in the aerospace industry behind the newest technologies used for exploration and national security. Here's your host, Eric White. Greetings, greetings. Thank you for joining us on another edition of the Space Hour here on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Eric White. We begin today with nuclear power in space. The idea of a nuclear-powered spacecraft goes back decades. Now it may become reality. The Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, and NASA are teaming up on a demonstration project. They want to see if a nuclear rocket engine could power flight to Mars. NASA Program Manager Dr. Anthony Calamino spoke to Federal News Network's Tom Temin about the project. So we're talking about nuclear for propulsion and not nuclear to like keep the astronauts alive with electricity and to run the microwave oven inside there. Yeah, so the, so the Draco mission that we're partnering with DARPA on is actually a propulsion system. Is is that, that really is all that it will do is provide thrust to the vehicle. And is this thrust that would take it out of Earth into space, or would it kick in once the vehicle is in space? So uh, we would actually place the uh, vehicle itself, the in, the nuclear thermal rocket, we would actually place it into orbit around Earth using chemical systems, traditional chemical systems. And then once it is in orbit, a safe orbit around Earth, thousands of kilometers away, that's when we would conduct the experiment, the nuclear part. Because the levels of thrust needed to maneuver in space are infinitesimal, right, compared to what it takes to get it up and out into space from Earth. It certainly is a small fraction. Once you're in space, you need a small fraction of the force that it took to actually get the the hardware and the, the mass into space to move around, yes. And before we get into some of the details in between for this craft to come back from Mars... I don't know what the gravitational pull on Mars is, but would this be able to get it out of Mars and back into reentry here? So I just want to be, make clear that the, the, the mission that we're talking about with Draco would just be a, a an in-space near-Earth demonstration. You know, it wouldn't be anything what we would call as an operational vehicle. It would just be a proof of demonstration of the technology itself. When we get to an operational vehicle, uh, something that we would want to use for Mars, uh, the nice thing about NTP is it provides us high thrust, you know, so we can generate, you know, up to uh, anywhere from 25,000 up to 75,000 pounds of thrust uh, from that engine. And that's the kinds of force that you would need to leave Earth. We call it Earth departure and get on to a trajectory that would that would give you the sufficient velocity or energy to get to Mars. And you've mentioned the Draco project with DARPA. That's Demonstration Rocket for Agile Cislunar Operations. Cislunar meaning what? Cislunar means the space between Earth and the moon is, is really the way that you could think of it. It extends a little bit beyond the moon, but uh, it is, is certainly the space that, that is around Earth and, and the moon. And just in layman's terms, how would this rocket engine work? Because you think of nuclear power as generating heat, and then it, that heat heats up water to produce steam or something like that. How would this work? You've got a nuclear reactor. Then then what? It, it, it uses some of those very similar principles that you just spoke to. It's, it's, it actually is an incredibly simple system. It is... The reactor, which is used as a heat or thermal energy source, so it heats up hydrogen propellant that flows through it. 
and then we use the heated uh, hydrogen propellant through an exhaust nozzle to move the vehicle forward. And uh, so the reactor is really the energy source for propulsion. And it would heat up hydrogen and shoot it out a nozzle. Yes, and push it out a nozzle. What are the chief difficulties of this? Is it simply that people worry what could happen with a nuclear source if something went wrong with it and then you'd have a bad problem? So, you know, we could talk about the safety of, of the nuclear aspects to the design. We actually are using uh, quite a bit of knowledge that's been gained with terrestrial systems on on how to manage fuel and how to manage the temperatures of those fuels and keep systems safe. And we're going to implement that in these systems as well. The real challenge for the NTP system is the reactor, but it's not the nuclear aspects of the reactor so much as it is the the high temperatures that that reactor is going to operate at. So, you know, eventually NASA would want to have a reactor that can operate at, at 2700 or 2800 degrees Celsius. And so that puts a lot of strain and stress on the materials. And, and that becomes the big challenge is, is picking the right materials that work at for that application and making certain that they survive the function. We're speaking with Dr. Anthony Calamino. He's a program manager and a materials and structures engineer at NASA headquarters. Is there lessons learned for this from, say, the Navy's experience in nuclear submarines? Lessons learned with, with you know, it's not just the, the Navy reactors, it's all of the reactors, but certainly the Navy has a lot of safety protocols and safety procedures in the way that they operate those nuclear reactors. And we do have associations and, and, and uh, subject matter experts that, that we've talked to and work with on that to make certain that we implement their practices where it makes sense and we utilize their lessons learned on base systems. Of course, they're surrounded by cold water that could be, I guess, pumped in to cool things off if need be, not the case in cis-lunar space. Yeah, not the case in cislunar space, but uh, one nice thing about being in cislunar space is that you're outside of the biosphere of Earth. And again, these systems are going to be very safe. Uh, we have no reason to believe that, that there would be a problem. But the one nice thing about it is that the consequences of something should happen is very, very small for Earth itself. Right. And of course, you'll be testing it without anybody aboard. Right. The, the first few instances of this... There will be autonomous vehicles that will be tested without, you know, any life form on, on board. And tell us about the programmatic aspects of this. What is DARPA bringing to it? What is NASA bringing to it? And when will we see something tried out? So NASA's responsibility is, is really on the key thing that, that we have the, you know, the strong technical interest in, which is the engine itself, right? The, the reactor design, the reactor operation, and all of the turbo machinery that needs to wrap around that to make it an integrated engine. So NASA will be taking responsibility to manage and, and fund that activity. That would really be the core of what we would want to use for some of our missions. DARPA will be taking the responsibility for the overall integrated vehicle that would demonstrate it. There's cryofluids that need to be designed and, and placed into that vehicle. Uh, actually, the mission CONOPS, the launch requirements to, to safely launch it from Earth, and those would be the responsibilities for DARPA on the mission. So it will go up. This engine will have a some kind of a simulated craft, not simulated, but a, but a model type of craft that it's attached to. And how will that whole thing get up into space in the first place? So the, the entire vehicle, space vehicle, will actually be assembled on Earth. It's, you know, relatively small by, you know, launch payload standards. 
relatively low mass system. Those those aren't really constraints in terms of what we're doing. So we would launch an integrated system that would be ready to be essentially turned on and, and operated. It would include all the crowd fluid tanks, all of the avionics, all the controls, including the engine on it to demonstrate. And this is something I'm thinking minivan size type of thing? Yeah, I think that's a fair uh, approximation of what we would consider to be the size of the system. And, of course, you'll be able to measure all of its activities and parameters by telemetrics. Will it come back or will it just sort of burn no. up? So, you know, on the first, we will we will have it fully instrumented and we will have a robust uh, palette of, of, of information will be generated from the test. It will be recorded, obviously digitally recorded. It will be transmitted back to Earth. We will be watching the operation of it in real time. When the demonstration mission is over, the system will be left in a near circular orbit thousands of kilometers away from Earth, and it will be safe there uh, orbiting the Earth for as long as it has or represents any radiation concern to, to Earth itself. It would, it would stay out there. And when is the planned launch of this thing? Right now, we believe that the launch will happen as early as calendar year 27. It's a very aggressive schedule that we're we're looking to conduct this mission on, and so we're really quite anxious to get started. And will NASA be fabricating and crafting this engine itself, or do you use contractors that have knowledge of nuclear systems? So NASA will rely on an industry prime, uh, and actually uh, NASA will actually be using some of the the investments that DARPA has made up to this point to to get some of the industry engaged on this. But NASA and DARPA have both had engagements with industry over the past few years on this. So there's a good alignment between both communities. We're pretty well linked in terms of how we would look at that design to go and, and how we would build it. Right. So we won't see it overhead mixing in with all the mysterious balloons or anything in the next few months. This is years out yet. No, we'll, we'll be very clear about what it is that we're launching and what we're testing.